Hello and welcome to What We've Learned, Series 2, Episode 2. As ever, myself, Steve Kemish, joined by Shane Redding. Hello, Shane. Hi. How are we doing? Okay. Good, good. Another another guest loaded into the guest tank. Who have we got this time? Oh, so excited about our guest on this episode. Lawrence Mitchell, known a very long time, uh, has had a huge variety of roles in his career, from um, being a publishing product person through to a chief customer officer, was CMO at RBI, um, and now entrepreneur, non-exec, and executive coach. We are in for a real treat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and very pertinent timing, Shane, I think, as you're about to find out, listeners. Uh, Lawrence's session runs really neatly from, from Ian Hughes, who we had the pleasure of talking with last episode. Um, and also the timing's great for many of you that may be considering, whether it's by own choice or, or by forced situation, how you may change your career, what um, what that may look like. And Lawrence's journey, as you're about to hear, is a really fascinating and engaging and uplifting story for us all. So on this episode of What We've Learned, I'm so excited to be talking to Lawrence Mitchell today. Um, not just because Lawrence is joining us from Australia and uh, he stayed up a little bit late to be able to do this episode, but because um, genuinely Lawrence is one of the people through my career I have always learned a lot from. And if I had a difficult question that I needed an answer to, he was probably my first port of call. So welcome, Lawrence. Um, I'm not quite sure how to introduce you because you are a true portfolio worker. So is it fair to say your uh, correct title for today would be founder of Raw Energy and Equilibrium? But I think there's more to it than that. Is that right? Yeah, well, that's it, really. I, I, I've really consolidated what I do. So I'm the founder and CEO of Raw Energy and Equilibrium. So that's one, one hat I wear. And then I'm also um, the VP for APEC for the Wellbeing at Work Summits. So they're the two areas. And they, 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 they both push in the same direction in the sense that they're, they're very focused on promoting and enabling well-being uh, in individuals, in teams and in businesses. So your story of, of how you've ended up in the sort of well-being world, and I know it's something you're very passionate about and is very relevant to many of us today. Um, but you started in publishing. How, how did you get from publishing, Lawrence, to, to where you are today in Australia? <laughs> now, it's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting question. And, and uh, I think the truth is publishing, I started in publishing and what I realise now is that the publishing world was changing literally as soon as I started. So I, I kind of got to experience digital disruption, if you like, even though I didn't have that, uh, that term, um, right at the start of my career. And when you work in such a very um, changing, unsettling, uncertain environment, you start to create um, skills and a mindset. And I realized quite early that I had to look after myself because if I didn't, there was no way I could um, cope with the level of stress and the level of uncertainty. Um, and that pretty much framed my entire career. So I started in publishing just as Amazon was coming in the market. And then one of the benefits of publishing is that you, uh, you have so many products, you get a lot of responsibility very early. So by the time I was, what, 24, I had a team of about eight people and, uh, you know, a lot of responsibility. And then it just developed from there. The, the industry changed. I, I very much um, wanted to be in marketing um, because 
I studied psychology as, a, a, as an undergraduate, and that was very much uh, about people and um, helped me understand people in a much deeper way. And marketing at the, at the very core is about understanding customers, understanding people, and being able to connect with people at, at a deep level. So that's really how the whole thing uh, evolved and, and, and changed. And then um, opportunities came along and, and doors opened and my career uh, progressed in, um, in terms of marketing leadership. But this well-being theme has run all the way through and it started from literally that self-preservation. I've got to look after myself. Otherwise, I'm not going to have the energy. I'm not going to have the vitality. I'm not going to be able to cope. Um, and then that's developed into more of a professional interest. And now it's my my whole business, my whole life. It started as a, um, a project of passion. So developing a like a blog. So I, I, I started writing uh, just to as I was learning. And then it's evolved and turned into programs and, uh, and, uh, and products and services and what I do now. Fascinating start, Lawrence, and, and almost a kind of awakening, it sounds like. Well-being and mindfulness is, has become so much more, uh, fashionable sounds the wrong word, but we're, we're much more aware of it. But you obviously have gone on that personal journey that's taken you to today. Uh, with yeah. what you do in that area, who are the organisations or the clients you work with? What is, what is a kind of typical project or client week look like for you with, with this hat on? So it's going. So I work with individuals and mainly leadership people. In, in I, 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 um, I think about the types of people I work with on a one-to-one -one level are people who are in a position of leadership or a position of influence. They may not necessarily be managing people, but they're certainly they've certainly got um, curious minds. They're keen to make a difference, and so. I'll work with a lot of people around the world uh, in that role. Then I work with teams, so creating programs to really enhance uh, culture and providing a lot of content, a lot of training programs, a lot of, um, a lot of um, uh, initiatives to really help people um, help themselves and create a more positive culture based on, uh, based on resilience. There's a lot of um, interest in that area now there always has been but it's really uh, really stepped up in the last six months as you as you'd expect um, and then I also work uh, as, a, as a consultant around business uh, business well-being so uh, helping clients create uh, marketing strategies and customer experience strategies within their within their, their business so uh, so typically I'll work with medium-sized uh, businesses uh, but also larger businesses it really depends on um, on um, what sector the um, the um, the organisation is? So I tend to work with with, with businesses who are in the health, wellness, um, and adjacent um, sectors, and who are looking to really be able to impact um, and create a positive uh, a positive um, change in the broader customer uh, customer environment. Really interesting. You've managed to sort of marry your as you say your personal interest in resilience and well-being and, and learning with I love the term business well-being we don't actually use that very often is that something because you had the role um, of chief marketing officer at, at uh, RBI massive enterprise is that something you started to think about when you were there Lawrence at an enterprise level yeah. business well-being Oh, very much. It's very interesting because it's really all come together this year. Um, because this year is the first time in February I started working 100% for myself. Um, so all the different pieces. So I, I talk about individual well-being, team well-being, business well-being, and all of those things uh, impact each other because 
ultimately, if we as individuals are not feeling good in our bodies, in our minds, then that's going to impact the people we uh, associate with, whether it's our, our team, our family. Um, and if the team are not feeling um, in, a good, uh, in a good vibe, that's going to impact the business well-being. So it's kind of logical, but piecing those, uh, those, those, um, those areas together very much started when I was CMO and I became CMO of RBI in 2008. Um, literally one month before the, um, um, the, uh, the, the world changed at that point in terms of the, the, uh, uh, the global financial crisis. Um, so I had to learn and look at the organization and, um, and it took me, I took on that role in 2008 and I did that role actually for nine years. And during that, that uh, period, and I feel very fortunate to have to have done that, that level of role at a time when the company transformed so much. So in 2008, it was a magazine business. You remember, uh, Shane, it was a, a, you know, a traditional trade publisher. But when I left in 2016, it had transformed into a, into a, um, uh, a data uh, software analytics business. So very different, half the business was sold in that, in that period. And that put huge amounts of pressure and, uh, and stress on the, on the people. So it was leading a team. And at one point I had a team of 200 people based around the world. So there was a massive um, management responsibility. And I would think about these issues a lot. How can we get a win, 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 if you like, how can we get a win for the employees, a win for the customers, a win for the shareholders, a win for the business? Cause it felt a very, um, uneven at, at points. Um, and it was that drive to get that win-win-win um, result that resulted in um, me training to be a health coach. So I trained to be a health coach in 2013. And then I brought that knowledge into RBI and created a well-being program uh, initially as a as a like a side project to what I, to my, my day job, which was CMO. But that really took off. And so that was uh, 20 uh when we, that was 2014 so six years ago and it just really took off and became this massive thing and i was learning was doing but there was a massive need for individuals to feel uh, supported by the organization and there was um lots of questions about what can an organization do to support its people's um its people's well well-being um, and that area has grown hugely um, since since that time because mental health has become a really big area of focus and it has been a focus for the last five, six years, but the last six months, again, it's become you know, a very big issue and many, many companies are now very interested in this area that previously were less interested. Um, but it was during the RBI years that I was honing my skills, learning, trying to, to, trying to to get these win-win-win results, do my job as a marketer, and reach out to customers, build uh, build a customer pipeline, whilst also looking after the interests of the employees to make sure that they felt supported, they had the skills, they had the knowledge, they felt you know good in their good in their jobs. So I did a lot of um, there was a lot of focus on people development, culture, you know, changing culture. Um, embracing more of a global community, I, I called the um, I called the marketing team the, the global marketing community because it was very um, clear to me at the time that community is such a big part of well-being, and I think we've all learned that in, in, in recent times. Because if you feel part of something, then that's a huge driver. I think we, we often think of well-being as some of the more physical things like food and movement and sleep, which all have an impact. Um, but 
but the broader the broader picture is around connection financial well-being productivity time how we use your, use your, you use our time these are the areas that i focus on in my work um, around those um, those um, those five pillars of well-being which i have uh, as part of my uh, my model Fascinating stuff, Lawrence. And it, it, it sounds, I mean, I'm just listening in wondering whether it's at a corporate level or at an individual level. I was going to ask about the, the triggers that might mean that somebody either seeks out your support or whether it's just now an open door. You know, every organisation gets this. I fear probably it's not every organisation gets this. But are there certain telltale signs, either crisis or, or more positive ones, as to why an organisation or an individual starts to look at this area and think about how they can change or adapt or, or better understand this aspect of, of working life yes I, I think you know often a burning platform does trigger um, the necessity to change that was certainly rbi's uh, experience because there was a very you know a, a, a heavily burning platform in 2008 and that created a huge amount of change in every part of the business including culture i think there was a deep understanding at rbi of the importance of people um, I think one of the challenges that many leadership teams may have is that they don't necessarily embrace some of the softer elements of people management, that kind of emotional intelligence and really connecting into to people. And it feels a little bit, a little bit soft, a little bit fuzzy, a little bit difficult to deal with. And that's why um, it might be easier to focus on some of the technologies, some of the tools. And uh, I'm not saying I'm brilliant at this, but as a new manager when I was 20, 24, I told you, and that was, I found it so hard managing a team of you know, seven, eight people um, because it was so unpredictable and emotional. So I really had to learn fast about how do I lead at that kind of early, early stage. And then gradually uh, I built on that and recognized that even though managing and leading people brings with its, its challenges, um, if you can really connect and understand a person at an individual level, what their passions are, and you can align their passions with their work, that's when magic happens. So that drove me to really understand that. And now when I look at other organizations, often they know this is important. So previously, I would say pre-COVID, companies didn't necessarily see it as they saw it as a nice to have. So if you talked about well-being, certainly when I started and part of the role I did was, was bring well-being at RBI into the, uh, into the core of the business as a strategic priority. For many years, people saw well-being as a nice to have, i.e. if we, we bought a, a bowl of fruit and sent people to a, a Pilates class, then, you know, we can tick that box. And compliance is certainly um, a factor here. But the companies who really do prioritize it and put resources into this area and resources being like education, so educating their teams how they can support themselves, because there's a lot of um, misinformation, there's a lot of confusion in this area. Um, but companies who really start to do those things, the, the, the value they get is, in, is tremendous in terms of retention, in terms of engagement, in terms of, um, in terms of a lower recruitment costs. And that's certainly what, what I found when I was uh, running the wellbeing program at RBI. And, um, you know, we won uh, uh, the best wellbeing, uh, the best corporate wellbeing program at the end of 2016. And that was literally because even though we started, uh, we started with a, 
a desire to create a well-being program, what really happened was we created a program which really promoted the internal brand because the feedback that we got was that it was really nice that the company actually cared about them. And that's what I feel people really want now. There's been so much change and people are working remotely. There's a lot of uncertainty over job security, over the, uh, the future of different businesses. So in that context, that requires um, a different style of leadership uh, to really be able to uh, support people during that uncertainty and also give them some sense of certainty because that's what I learned leading at that level for nine years when there was one restructure after another, we were selling you know, half the company and everyone would ask me what's going to happen next. And the truth was I had no idea. But what I learned was that to help people keep focused and keep motivated, I had to create a vision of the future that was acceptable to them so they could focus because in truth none of us know what the future holds but what we do know is what we believe might hold so I, I, I created a vision I said this is what's likely to happen it might not but it just gave people some some sense of um, you know, solid foundation which enabled them to focus and do their work which actually created certainty because the business started to evolve and change and created a uh, uh, it created a lot more customer value that um, has brought uh, the, that has created the um, the future that we're now part of i think that's really powerful lawrence because i think it's really interesting what you learn about yourself as you go through these as you say uncertain times is that for some of us and i'll put myself firmly in that bucket i like to plan uh, i like to plan i like to look ahead i like to think about the what ifs um and i think what you've really clearly articulated there for me is the role of the leader or be it your CMO, but somebody to take the role about providing what certainty you can, being so important in an organization. I, and I had a really interesting example. It was a very small one yesterday on a Zoom call, but was just checking in. And in fact, it's a group you used to contribute a lot to um, the B2B council of the DMA, IDM, as was. And there was a question there going around and people were trying to find out and they were saying, who here has paid um, for extra screens for their staff or a chair at home or because actually, you know, maybe their office environment isn't great. And I was thinking this is a really functional conversation and it was mainly around cost. And then I won't say who, but one of the organizations said, well, actually, this is very timely because one of our employees is actually suing us for not providing the right equipment to work from home and you know they were so far away from talking about what you've just talked about in terms of that empathy and the soft skills of putting it first what can we do for you it was almost what do we have to do um mm. i think it's really interesting and that need for employee marketing and you talked earlier about community as well yes. a challenging thing to do though it is a challenge and that's why as a marketer the way i dealt with the internal so i would think of the employees as a key customer segment because you know i've worked i worked at rbi and we've spoken a lot of time uh, uh, about uh, spent a lot of time talking about the um, experience at rbi 
moving to Australia in 20, at the end of 2016, I worked, for, um, I was chief customer officer for a company called Sumo Salad, who's a household brand and it was B2, and it was, uh, B2C. Um, but thinking about all of the employees were customers as well. But if you think about them as key customers, you, there's a different energy. You treat people very differently than if you think of your employees as, you know, it's lucky, they're lucky to have a job and, you know, and you, you treat them in a very different way. And um, so it comes back to this word that I use a lot, equilibrium. It comes back to balance, a balance between um, being really supportive of the, of, of the employees, helping them feel um, supported in a good environment. And that ties into making sure you've got clarity on the, on the values of, of your organization as a culture so that you can recruit people who share those values. Because in my experience, whenever I've had challenging relationships, there's always been a um, disconnect in the values. And that's what conflict often often results from just a different set of values. We look at the world in in, uh, in in different in different ways. But I think if you really think of your employees as a customer segment, you know, as marketers, we all think about segmentation. You know, it's the um, foundation of what we do. And employees are influencers. You know, that's what they can do. If you think about your employees um, who are at a dinner party or wherever uh, on a Zoom call uh, these days, and, you know, ultimately you want them to say they're proud of working for your brand because that's what people hear from it. And it, it, it's something I always strive for so that if people who work for you and they're the most engaged people, they understand your brand, they understand your organization culture. If they're advocates, then, you know, that's going to really have a ripple effect in the marketplace. It, Lawrence, it's really interesting about just that point around uh, the influence of value of an employee, because influence is a very uh, off-used word at the moment as a currency. Mm. But of course, it's not just what they say, it's what they do, I suppose, as well. If an employee is happy and engaged, the quality of their output um, the way they might handle a customer in on a visit or on a call or whatever it might visits probably not so much but you know virtual call etc even those <laughs> small interactions can be hugely affected um, I, I wonder also just back from the art of communication right we're in marketing where we, we need to understand to, to write and say things in the language they'll understand of course as you say you've got to have that vision for your staff but you've got to also put it in words and language and sentiment that they will relate to rather than and I've had this from years of client side experience of somebody senior comes down, presents a deck at everybody and everyone leaves politely and has no <laughs> idea what they've said. You know, you've got to understand and have that empathy for them as well, I guess. Very, very much so. And when I created the wellbeing program back in, two, in, in, um, in 2016, no, when, yeah, 2014, sorry, I, I lose track of, of time. Um, that was a key part of it. It was really a marketing campaign to make it feel very different to what you would perceive a corporate wellbeing program would look like. And it was all about the content. It was all about the communication. It was all about segmentation. So everything that, 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 uh, that we do to make it appropriate and applicable to individuals rather than everybody. Um, so I, th I think that's, you know, that's, that's really important. The, the other thing I would say, because there is so much change uh, going on and so much uncertainty, often the leaders in, in businesses are often everybody's problem is their problem. So it becomes even more critical that the leaders focus on their own personal well-being. That's why I do what I do and feel resilient because then they can show up in a big way because the leader is like a CMO is a beam of light on an organization 
if they're in a good good frame of mind, if they're feeling good, if their mindset is um, is right, then they'll be there. Those little issues um, will just bounce off them rather than really getting you down. And I've had that experience where you just feel like everything's getting on top of you, and then people uh, people ask you something, and you bite their head off, and you create this negative vibe, this negative um, this negative energy, and that's you know, that's not acceptable. So we have to, as leaders, really prioritize our own personal uh, well-being, our mental health, our, our, our physical well-being. It's all interconnected um, so that we can show up and really support people and create, you know, a positive team uh, culture, which will have that uh, uh, knock-on effect on the business performance. So that's why I've always prioritized that part of my life so that I can um, be there and, you know, be there a hundred percent but it, but it's born out of lawrence i guess that that what you've got in spades is both passion and experience on this topic which makes you very credible and incredible enough to launch as you said the business this year so i want i'm going to ask you two questions in one if you don't mind is i wanted to ask you about how it's been to launch that business in 2020 and what have the challenges been what not just for you and the business but the wider environment on this topic and then also how that focuses you for the outlook of the year ahead you know will yes. if you rewind to your business planning um, and what you thought the business might be and, and how the world is now and how it will be i wonder what you've learned that's as of, of value to you and, and the wider world <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And what Shane said before, I really relate to. So I've always been a planner, you know, a life. I've always had my, you know, five-year plan, 10-year plan. You really try and control and manage as much as you can. Uh, and in December, I did a great plan. I was in Bali and wrote this wonderful plan for 2020. You know, none of it happened. <laughs> like everything, <laughs> everything changed. So I've learned this year to become a lot more, um, I guess, in the moment. Uh, and that might sound a bit cliche but to be to still have a plan but have a plan which you can flex so i i started my business in in, 20, in february 2020 in truth it wasn't a, a complete startup because this has been a project of passion for me for 12 years i've been it started as a blog and then it grew and i trained as a coach so it's always been a, a sideline pro project for me a business that's been evolving but it's only this year that it's been my main source of um, of, of income so february i just I had to apply all the tools that I've learned. So I kind of left Sumo at, in February. I'd been working part-time there. So, and I, I started um, really building the business plan. And then of course COVID happened and it was like, wow, all of my plans were based on in-person experiences primarily. I was running a big conference. And so we had all these things that everything had to change. And, and we just had to pivot the business and really focus, understand what's happening, really go back to the core principles of what are the customer problems? Like who are the customers? What are the problems that they're experiencing? How can we help? And then what are the mechanisms to help? Um, and so in, in February, in probably April, it felt very fluid. I knew I had the tools. I knew I could help, um, but everything was very, um, uh, very fluid. So I thought, well, what can I do? And I thought I can create, I've got background in publishing. I can create a magazine. That turned into this massive pro uh, project and I created, um, it's called Equilibrium. So it's a magazine and we, la we launched that in an organic way in um 
in uh, in April, and and that was that gave real focus. And then it's evolved from there because the brand Equilibrium really resonated with people. Everyone's looking for balance. Everyone's looking for uh, resilience and to develop those skills. And then it evolved into well, what can we do next? So the the magazine is free, so everyone can um, can download it for free. We've done three issues now around um, different um, aspects of um, of well-being. Um, and then it was, well, what can we, what can we do to build on it? So we evolved it into a program called Finding Equilibrium. Um, and I worked with other people. So one of, in one of the areas, and I think I learned this at RBI because it's such a, a matrix-driven uh, organization, um, that I collaborated. So all the projects I've done this year, um, which include three uh, virtual events uh, like big conferences uh, wellness festival you know, magazines this uh, all, all online training program now it's all it's all happened because of finding great partners to collaborate with who are aligned on values and have complementary skills to me so in many ways it feels like i'm working for a bigger company because i've got a, a team but we're working in a very different way more in a um you know, we've got, all got our own businesses, but we collaborate, we share resources, we share knowledge, we share, um, we, we, we share um, expertise and we co-create. And, um, and it's been incredibly fulfilling to have that because one thing I've always worried about having grown up in big, in big companies and working with lots of people, I'd always worried about just working at home and being isolated because um, that was never what I wanted. I like people and I like um, connecting with people um, and it's very much been uh, uh, that kind of environment over the last six months collaborating with people all around the world because one of the huge benefits and um, there's a lot of negatives but one of the huge benefits from um, the pandemic is that the ge geographical um, constraints have gone away so since I came to Australia um, I one of the big things I, I, I focused on was maintaining my relationships. My family live in the UK. So last year I went back twice, the year before I went back twice this year, I'm not going back at all. Um, but everyone now is more comfortable having Zoom calls or having video calls, whereas pre-pandemic, um, it was the exception. You know, if, um, if you could meet in person, then people wanted to meet in person, whereas now the world has learned that you can do a lot of work and co-create and may and do amazing things without ever actually meeting so a lot of the people that i've been working with this year i've never actually met in person um, but we've done all this work together so which is which is amazing so I, I i feel this year for me has been a big lesson in terms of bringing it together because i always say innovation loves constraints and this year it has just taught me that um, more so because we were doing this big conference in Singapore, which was meant to happen in, in April, but a lot of, uh, it's a wellbeing at work conference, put a lot of energy and effort into it. We wasn't sure if it was gonna happen. And then we, we had to cancel it obviously in March. And then we just, it was just, okay, we can't do this. We can spend all our time, um, all our time lamenting if you like, and saying what a shame, or we can just focus on what can we do given the context. And that's pretty much, what we do and that's how i've always operated it's like that door is closed which door is open let's just focus on that let's focus on what we can do let's focus on what we can control and try and create a future destiny and um, that is is 
as by design as we can be, because that's my belief is that no matter how grim things may be, um, there's always a there's always a balance. There's always an equi- there's always a point of equilibrium, um, and there's always going to be a bright spot, even if you can't see it at the time. That's what I've learned through my entire career of working in these environments, which were so fluid and so um, transformational, um, and sometimes you just felt like it was all kind of falling falling apart. Um, but there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's always an important message to say to ourselves when we do feel in that dark place and um, the light will always come. Um, and we just need to find the direction. We need to talk to people who may know who can help um, because ultimately um, we are more, we, we can control a lot of things uh, in our life, even though there are many things that we can't control, but we can control what we put in our body. We can control what we feed our mind. We can control whether we move our body and who we connect with and who we collaborate with. I think knowing you, Lawrence, that that sort of advice or the way you live your life of, you know, that positivity really shines through as the passion of what can we do? What can we control? And I know there'll be some people who are listening saying, oh, well, that... Lawrence makes it sound easy, but I know it hasn't always been easy for you. And I know that there's been some frustrations along the way. Um, in fact, I even remember when you you were in the enterprise world and I think you reached out to me and sort of saying, I'm doing this side hack, but, you know, <laughs> how do you set up a business from scratch? And so just what, what have been some of the perhaps frustrations or learnings as you've been through this that have enabled you to focus on what you can do to seize the opportunities great time to launch a magazine by the way brilliant timing you know there <laughs> couldn't be better so yeah frustrations when when it hasn't worked be honest about those Lawrence oh my god it's it's there's been so many frustrations I, like so many times it hasn't worked and I felt overstretched and it's felt like a big black hole and it's like never gonna it's like never gonna happen and um, I think ultimately you realize I, I right now, and I wouldn't have said this in the past, but right now I take everything one day at a time and I look at that as a unit of time. And I, I, at the end of every day I'll do, I've got a, uh, you know, I love metrics like, like many people in marketing and I do, I do, a, I do a, I do a, um, uh, a dashboard and I just focus on the things that have gone well that day for the things I'm glad about and the things that are worrying me, the things that are, you know, may not have gone well. And what, when I look at it like that, I have a much more balanced picture of my day because as humans, we can often be very, you know, we're programmed to look at the negative. You know, that's why if we get, you know, I, I used to see this when I used to do PD, when I used to do appraisals with people, they would get glowing uh, scorecards and there'd be one negative comment and all they wanted to do was focus on that. Um, and that's just the way we are. And if you, if you really track how you're spending your time, what you've accomplished, what opportunities have come through. You get a much more balanced picture. And that's what that works for me. And I share that with, um, you know, with um, all of my coaching clients to get that balanced view, because otherwise the frustrations will dominate our thinking. The one negative thing that's happened, you know, the negative news, it colors our entire day and it, 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 um, it sets up, it sets a tone for the day. So, uh, and that will then just have a ripple effect all, 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 all the way through. But I've had enough, like this year, you know, setting up a business in this, in this context and trying to get new customers, trying to do things like a massive learning curve. You know, we 
I've had to learn. I'm really pushing myself. I just delivered for a big client um, today, actually. I had to do nine uh, training videos. And like, I am a very shy kind of person. At, and doing videos was, has never been my point of comfort, but I just had to get on with it. I just had to learn and get better at it. And I think you always have to go, almost have to operate at the edge and realize that when you start something, you're going to be pretty, you know, not that great at it. But if you keep doing it, you get better. And I think that's really been my big lesson is that if you want to do something, don't worry so much about the timeline, but just keep moving forward. So I always wanted to live in Australia and I thought it wasn't going to happen. And then it did happen uh, five years after I thought it would happen. You know, so timeline in many ways is irrelevant. I think the key thing is, is to have a vision for your life and what you want to, 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 to do and, you know, accomplish if you like, um, and just keep moving forward. Even though the the journey and the path will um, will change, and 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 that's fine. If you don't give up on the dream, then um, you you know you will achieve it in the end. And that that's my belief. Um, and the 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 tools I use help to keep that balanced uh, that balanced uh, perspective. And I would say if we are feeling really like there's no point. Then we just have to work through it. Someone once said to me that the days that you feel like, particularly now I'm like selling, I'm, I'm calling a lot of people and doing those things. And as CMO, um, if I contacted people, everyone would get back to me. You know, that's kind of how I, you know, how I operated for years. Whereas when you're on the other side, a lot of people may not return your call because it's just a, you know, it's just a sales call or whatever, whatever they that they, they'll think. So you have to overcome that and you have to break through so that you can, um, you you can, uh, you know, achieve the results that you're that you're searching for. And I do believe that on the other side of adversity is growth and and going through adversity, going through challenging times we learn a lot through that, through that experience. And that's certainly when I look back at my life and some of the experiences I've had, it's, it, it has come from those more negative moments where I have felt, you know, you know, have felt uh, a sense of, um, uh, a, a sense of wondering whether I'm, you know, going down the right path or whether I should do something completely different. And um, that's when suddenly the, the solution comes through i'd read a book or something like that which would, which would really just give me a a, a, a a nugget of insight that suddenly unlocks uh the um unlocks the door lawrence is one of the questions as you know the title of this podcast is around what we've learned and and what i was going to hope to wrap with is is kind of advice from you but you've just given so much there in that last statement that you've almost made my question redundant except for to say um there's so much for people to take away from that in in many aspects of their own personal professional lives but i just wonder whether given the journey you've been on if there's if there are people listening in that say well look this well-being stuff uh, mindfulness whatever that this area is i don't really understand it what, what would your advice be to anyone that says actually i probably need some help i want to look at this what are the practical first steps for anybody that wants to go away and either for themselves as you say you work with clients in that space but or maybe they've listened in and thought hmm, this could be useful for the collective for my team or colleagues where does one start to go on this journey what would you say to them 
the, the starting point is I because the, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of uh, research that you can do to really understand that. The starting point is understanding your starting point. So you know, I can help. You know, I'm a well-being coach uh, clearly. So my website provides a lot of resources, free resources that can really help to um, to educate and inspire to really understand um, the starting point. I've got a tool that helps you pinpoint where my starting point is. I've got uh, five uh, five pillars, um, as I said before, and the tool helps you understand where are you out of balance at this point in time. So you can then put resources uh, into that area. And that's applicable as an individual or as a team, as a collective, so that you can then say, what can we do? Because underpinning my entire um, philosophy is that we are all individuals. So there is a one well-being and resilience toolkit that supports everybody, but there are common principles that are applicable to, 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 to everyone. So movement is an important part of our well-being, but we don't all have to do the same movement. You know, there's such a big range of things that we can do and different tools. So it's understand where you are right now, understand where you're out of balance, and then start to build a, um, a personalized resilience and well-being toolkit for you and your team so that ultimately you can leverage that toolkit and find equilibrium when you inevitably get out of balance, because that's what happens every day, there's going to be big things and little things that are going to push us out of balance. And with the right toolkit, we can find our balance, find our equilibrium again and again in a more, um, in, a, in a way which um, utilizes uh, less energy. So you know, look me up on my website, send me an email and I'll be able to guide you and point to you in the right, in the, um, in the right direction, because there's so much that is out of control in our world. But the one thing we can control is the, what is, is our mental, is our mental and our physical well-being, what we put in our body, what we put into our mind, and that will really transform our experience of, of life. And it will also transform the results that we get. So, um, so yeah. I can see lots of um, conversation, comments and uh, questions in our LinkedIn uh, link to this podcast. So I think we'll be getting some interactions from this one, Lawrence. So that was a great uh, final tip. And just um, tell us your website again. Yeah, so my website is getrawenergy.co. So get, G-E-T, raw R-A-W, so uh, uh, rawenergy.co. Raw stands for resilience, authenticity, well-being. Whenever I chat to Lawrence, whenever I listen to Lawrence, I always learn so much. And I think one of the things that um, he's always done is invested in himself and his learning as he's gone through his career. And I really admire Lawrence massively for that, as well as teaching me a lot about resilience. So I'm sure lots of people listening to that will find these threads really interesting and and to that point actually Steve where's the best people um, for joining the conversation where can they join the conversation because we're we're by trade response marketers we like a dialogue we're not broadcasters by background so where can people jump in we are not broadcasters by background, Shane. We do demonstrate that ably every week. Uh, yes, so if you've found something of interest from what Lawrence has had to said, say, like Shane and I have, and, and Shane, you know, 
as you said, Lawrence is, I really admire Lawrence for that always be learning type attitude as well as that self-realization. So areas that are probably quite obvious to us in retrospect, but that, you know, ability to control oneself and look after the, the areas you can, and also to consider, particularly in this environment, the, the year that we've had, what it means for, for your communication, for your relationships with, with others is, is so vital. So if it sparked an interest, you've got a story to share or just a comment for Lawrence or ourselves. So as ever, you can go to wwlpodcast.co.uk. That's the home that will redirect through to our LinkedIn page where you can share comments. You can also pick up previous episodes from both series one and series two. If you'd like to have a listen back, you're very welcome to do that. Perhaps something you've heard today has made you feel, well, actually, I've got a story to tell on this, or I know somebody that's been through a journey uh, or would be really beneficial to share what they're going through and doing or learn, good or bad. Then Shane and I would love to hear from you, whether that's to come and be a future guest or just to share thoughts with us and Lawrence, I'm sure that's the right place to start, Shane. Great. So we hopefully will see you there. As a reminder, www.podcast.co.uk. If you make it there, great. If you don't, then I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and we certainly look forward to uh, tuning in with you for a future episode coming in the next few days. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>